0: Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God. For it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, One Verse at a Time. My name is Tyler, and I am excited to be with you this Sunday afternoon as we continue our study for the four weeks of Advent, and we are talking about the prophet, priest, and king who is in the manger. And if you missed last week, um, that is back up on, still on our podcast uh, channels, there was a bit of a technical issue, and so we only have audio from that one. But this one we are planning to have fully available on our video platforms if you prefer to stream that way. But uh, moving on with our study, we have been talking about the the manifold office of Christ. That he is our eternal and perfect prophet, priest, and king. And that these are not separable from um, his earthly ministry. That you can't separate the baby in the manger from the conquering king. You can't separate... Um, the the baby in the manger from our intercessor. You can't separate the baby in the manger from the fulfillment of prophecy. And so this is where we've been going, and we are continuing with that trek. And so we will not be in Isaiah. We're going to a different prophecy, and we'll be in Zechariah chapter six, verses nine through fifteen, reading out of the English Standard Version, and as we continue expounding on the glorious office of Christ the Christ that came as a baby, we come now to Zechariah and to hear a prophecy of a priest who is king. Zechariah is telling of the coronation of Joshua, the high priest. However, Joshua is not the focal point. Joshua is a type, that being a foreshadowing of Christ. Joshua is the Hebrew equivalent of the name Jesus. Same name, different people. And so as we go on, turn with me to Zechariah 6, verses 9 through 15. And it says, And the word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles Helai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown. And set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, to Bijah, Judea, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass, if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. There is a... There are some interesting dynamics in this passage. I got very excited reading this in Zechariah. Zechariah is interesting. Zechariah is one of what we call the Minor Prophets, and that's that it is one of the books of the prophets in the Old Testament that is comparatively short. Um, Zechariah is the longest of the Minor Prophets, and I believe 14 chapters. But Zechariah is one of the last three. It it was um, one of the three. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi were written after the exile, after the Jews came back from Babylon to rebuild their society. And so Zechariah focuses much on the hope of restoration for God's people. And as we go through Zechariah, we've got to keep that in mind that he is promising restoration, not just for the walls, but for the spiritual Israel. That Ultimately, there are a lot of gospel undertones here, that we are seeing something come into play here. And he's talking about the restoration of God's people, not just in their, their buildings and their physical um, condition, but also restoring them spiritually with the gospel through the person and work of Christ. Matthew Henry writes on these verses, God did not only at sundry times, but in diverse manners, speak in time past by the prophets to his church. In the former part of this chapter, he spoke by a vision, which only the prophet himself saw. Here, in this latter part, he speaks by a sign, or type, which many saw, and which, as it was explained, was an illustrious prediction of the Messiah as the priest and king of his church. Here is one, the significant ceremony which God appointed, and that was the coronation of Joshua, the high priest. It is observable that there should be two eminent types of Christ in the Old Testament that were both named Joshua, the same name with Jesus, and by the Septuagint, and in the New Testament rendered Jesus. Joshua, the chief captain, a type of Christ, the captain of our salvation, and Joshua, the chief priest, a type of Christ the high priest of our profession, and both in their day saviors and leaders in Canaan. And this is peculiar to to Joshua, the high priest, that here was something done to him by the divine appointment on purpose, that he might be a type of Christ, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who was both a king and a priest. So there is this duality presented in these verses between Christ's kingship and priesthood. We'll continue to flesh out the kingship aspect next week, but for now, we direct our focus to the priest who was crowned in the temple. So verse 9, And the word of the Lord came to me, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. We heard last week that Christ is and was a proclaimer. When we hear of God speaking in the Older Testament, as some have called it, we can be confident that Christ is speaking. And God calls three people to come out of Babylon to be witnesses to this coronation. They take gold and silver from Babylon, and it says that they use it to make a crown. A very, very special crown. You see, crowns were not made of different metals like gold and silver. We're not made of different metals like gold and silver. Those are two precious metals that didn't mix well. And so for God to command them to make a composite crown was very unusual. The crown was made of multiple materials. This is a crown like no other. Such is the crown of our God. No crown is like that that our God wears as he sits on his throne. And the fact that it's made of two metals also further is a nod to the priest who is king. Because you see, the priest was crowned, and then the king was crowned. That was a common practice in Israel that they would have a coronation of the priest but they would also have a king and they'd both wear a crown. But we're, po- we're pointing to Christ with a crown that is made up of two metals. That there's a twofold aspect to the crown that Christ wears. Joshua was the high priest of Israel and that, that word Joshua literally means the Lord saves. Joshua was aptly crowned as such, in the temple. The Messiah, Christ, was promised an even greater crown, for he is a greater priest. He is a priest like Melchizedek from Genesis, who was a priest but was also a king. And there's, there's a lot of theological rabbit holes that we could chase on that one. But the fact of the matter is, um, there was this guy in Genesis named Melchizedek who interacted with Abraham. And Melchizedek was called the Prince of Peace and the King of Righteousness. But he was also a high priest, and he blessed Abraham. And Abraham um, interacted with him as his inferior, as though he was better than Abraham. He was greater than covenant Abraham. And this is what Christ is. It says in Psalm 110 that you are a priest forever by the order of Melchizedek. That Christ is a different kind of priest. He's not like Aaron and that the Levitical priests. But he is a different kind of priest. That he is different. And I believe the best way to explain this is um, in the words of John Calvin. I don't like to quote a lot of John Calvin just because of the stigma that surrounds Calvin. But um, Calvin does have a way with words. He's very... Profound in the way that he writes things, and in his commentary on the subject, he writes, He now presents us with the reality behind the symbols of the law in order to turn our eyes to it. For anyone who believes that the things foreshadowed in the law have been revealed truly in Christ will no longer hold onto the shadows. He will embrace the substance in all its solid reality. Nevertheless, we must see carefully and in detail how he compares Christ with the ancient high priest. He has already said that the high priest alone entered the sanctuary once a year, carrying blood with which to expiate sins. Christ is like the ancient high priest, in that he alone is honored with this dignity and office. But, he is different in that he brings with him gifts which are eternal, and establish his priesthood forever secondly the ancient high priests and our own are alike in that they both entered the holy of holies through the sanctuary but they differ in what christ alone in that christ alone entered heaven by way of the temple of his own body even though the holy of holies was opened to the high priest once a year for a solemn performance of expiation This was only a poor figure for the matchless, self-offering of Christ. Indeed, they both went in. But the one entered into an earthly place, the other into heaven, forever, even to the end of the world. Both offered blood, but there is all the difference in the world between blood and blood. The ancient high priest offered the blood of cattle. Christ offered his own. They both made expiation, but the one made under the law was ineffectual and had to be repeated each year. Christ's expiation kept its vigor forever, and is the source of our salvation in eternity. Hence, every word of the Apostle is heavily weighted. Some change Christ being come to Christ being nearby, but this does no justice to the Apostle's thought. What he means is that the Levitical priests had performed their office. At a fixed time, they were removed, and Christ was chosen in their place. So simply put, Christ is a different priest because he doesn't step down. He doesn't resign. He doesn't die. So there's no replacement. And what he does is from that place of eternality. Christ intercedes for our sin as our priest, but his priesthood is different because he's eternal. His offerings are eternal, his intercession is eternal, his office is eternal. He has no heirs and no replacements. It says in Hebrews that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. In short, Christ is better. He is a better priest. And God promises in verse 12 to bring forth the branch, meaning Christ, that perfect priest. This is an old name for the Messiah, the seed of Jacob, the root of David. And there are countless verses we can go through for that. Isaiah 53 says he will grow up before us like a young plant. Isaiah 65 calls him the seed of Jacob. But my favorite is Revelation chapter 5. Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The one... The branch, the root, the seed is the Christ who came in a manger. The branch has come and there is great significance as it says back in Zechariah, for he shall branch out from this place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. There. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both now if you remember they took silver and gold from babylon to make this crown for the priest this is pagan owned material but god used it for his purposes he took the gold and silver of babylon That would have likely been used in their pagan practices, it could have been used in their temples. But God used it for his own purposes, and he redeemed this gold and silver for his divine use. Very much in the same way that when the Israelites left Egypt during the Exodus, that they took a certain amount of gold with them from Egypt, and that gold they used to make the Ark of the Covenant. In the same way, God is redeeming us out of the Babylons, out of the Egypts, out of the pagan world that we live in. He is calling us out and redeeming us for honorable use. And it says he will build a temple. He will be honored as priest and rule as king. The king and priest shall be a council of peace. There will be a priest on the throne. The crown is in the temple. That's significant that the king and priest are unified here. We're talking about a complete paradigm shift. Not just that the king and the priest agree, but rather that the king and the priest are the same person. Not in a totalitarian way as modeled by earthly powers. We're not talking like the medieval church, when the um, you basically had a church state, and the Roman Catholic Church was basically a political entity. That's not what we're talking about. But Christ will be our priest, our spiritual intercessor, and he will be our king, our lawgiver. Christ has the law and grace in his jurisdiction. The law and the gospel are firmly held in his hands. And his temple will be built. We're not talking about a physical temple. The church building is not the temple he's referring to here. Hebrews three. Um for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So we are the house. Got that through the person work of Christ, through what Christ did on a cross, dying for sin, and being raised from the dead as our conquering king. He has made us a spiritual house. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Anytime Paul writes of the, of the temple, he is referring to the people of the church. He's not talking about the temple of Jerusalem. He's referring to the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly of God. That we are his people. It says in Revelation 5, Worthy are you, talking about Christ, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them, being us, the people of God. You have made us a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. So Christ established us both as his priests, and he is our high priest, and we are like the sub-priests. But he also established us as the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. As it says in Jeremiah, I will put my spirit in you. We do not deserve as much. Truth be told, we are wretched sinners. We cannot conjure up righteousness. It says in Isaiah that our righteous deeds are but filthy rags before God. That no one takes hold of him. There is no one who rises. There is no one who seeks God. But God gave us his righteousness. When we couldn't conjure up any righteousness of our own. He made us a redeemed people. And he made us his priests. And rather than being clothed in the attire of the ironic priests of the Old Testament with the jasper and those certain stones, we're not clothed that way as his priests, but rather we are adorned by the righteousness of Christ, the perfect, final, and eternal priest of the gospel Israel, of the true spiritual Israel, as his house, it says in Zechariah 6.14, And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helem, Tobijah, Judea, and Hen, the sons of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. That the priesthood, he's made us a priest of all nations. He's bringing all the nations together through the work of the gospel. That he is uniting us under the banner of Christ. To build up that spiritual house. That every tongue may confess that Jesus is Lord. That every knee should bow. It says in Isaiah that all the nations shall come to the mountain of God. And we shall learn his ways. And we shall keep his statutes. Make no mistake, guys, the crown is in the temple. As we continue through this time of Advent, the crown is in the temple. By the atoning work of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we have a perfect eternal priest. The crown of the priest and the king are in the holy place. There's no separation there. The priest and the king are one. The temple of our God. And he draws the nations to his temple for the worship of the one true God. This is the Christ of Christmas. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, You can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, You can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section. Um, a free gospel message for download entitled, The Two J's: The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture, and it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy, transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4:4